There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I am here uh, with a really awesome guest today who I'm very excited to talk about, uh, an amazingly talented chief marketing officer, also a mentor at Venture Lane, which is a startup hub, a member at Rev Genius, uh, and previously from Salsify, uh, which is um, a impressive, you know, very fast-growing unicorn status company where she uh, spent several years doing a lot of things on both the sales and the marketing side. So she's tactical, she's strategic. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome Courtney Ostermiel. Hello. Hi. Hi what an what an intro. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I yeah, meant every word. Appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Happy to be here. Yeah, we were just talking pre-show about you know fast times, uh, the life, the lives of CMOs. I'm not myself a CMO technically, but I do not uh, envy it. A lot of our clients are just like on planes constantly, and um, so I feel you. Hopefully, this will be a fun and low stress period in your day. <laughs> Thank you for that. I could use that in a tank of chamomile tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, we want, we've got lots to talk about, but as usual, let's start. Uh, if you could tell us one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Sure. Um, So I think uh, for folks who might be looking for more metric uh, or data-driven tactics on uh, this podcast, I'm going the other direction with the with the secret sauce, and I I would say that it's actually more focused on like the wellness and the well-being of folks on um the team within marketing and actually those that we engage with quite a bit across yeah. the organization um and i would say that along with that very open lines of communication which to me coincide with one another they go hand in hand but i would say that that's the the secret sauce on on my end yeah and probably there's some people thinking like like that's it like that's the sauce because we've heard that, right? And it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but you have a special approach to it, um, which actually makes it like an amazing investment if you think about if you think about it, because yeah. it drives retention, mm-hmm. right? And like yeah. what else what else is it that um, you know, is valuable other than just having an amazing team around you? Yeah. So um tell me just a little bit about like things that you do, how you go about it and how it actually um leads to better retention? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say that I have to give kudos to my dad, Rob, um, for for some of this. So for a little bit of a little bit of background, my dad was an executive at Campbell Soup for a very long time. And over his career, he received executive coaching, uh, how to work with people better, right? Be more of a people person. And he was an army guy. So he was ROTC. 
served in the army in Germany and in Italy. Uh, my guess is, is that he brought some of that to the office. Uh, he certainly brought it into my upbringing and it can be a little rigid, right? That's like, that's the point of um, how army forces are, are trained. And so over time, kind of came to a realization that being more mindful, more communicative, more of a people person, more aware of the, you know, the folks around him was really important. And that was something that he talked about quite a bit during my upbringing. And it didn't really hit me sort of the gravity of what he was talking about until I was in the workforce. And Mm -hmm. I was potentially working with people uh, for people or with people who were not mindful of those things and what it really did to myself, what it did to others, right? Like burnout is real and um, anxiety in the workplace is real. And when you're constantly battling ghosts, as I call them, to people in the department, when you're battling ghosts, whether they're personal or professional, it will have a large impact on your happiness. And the reality is, is we spend more time at work and with the people at work than we do anywhere else in our lives. And so you're not managing that stress the way you say in your personal life, like people go running, they have journals, they go to therapy, they do all sorts of things to bring wellness to their personal lives. So like, why would we not apply something like that to where we're actually spending most of our day? Yeah. So that was sort of the inception of why I started focusing on things like this. Well, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it's been a long time coming. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you, um, what are some specifics? So it's like, okay, we want to be more mindful of others. We want to help them to, you know, not feel overwhelmed, not feel anxiety. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so some of the things when I was originally at Salsify, um, that we put into play and I give kudos to my, my old manager, um, Rob G at Salsify, where we started talking a little bit about, or a lot about, you know, what it takes to go from 30 million to 150 million to 500 million and do that in a short period of time. And there was an environment created for us there that I felt completely comfortable going to him and being like, there is burnout happening. This is happening. Um, We don't want to lose folks. Right. And he felt the same way. And so there was a book by Cal Newport, a world without email. And what's interesting in that book is it talks about like the hyper hive mind and it talks about multitasking and how, when you're in back-to-back meetings, you can do real work. You can't do deep work. You have residue, right. That's constantly like building up. And so the thought was like, what can we put in place very simplified to maybe help with this? And so one of the things that we implemented was like no meeting times. So there was twice a week where we were completely blocked off as a marketing department where you were not able to schedule meetings with us. It was time Um, one off like strategy meetings. okay, but like don't put reoccurring meetings on, et cetera. And then all of Fridays were no meeting Fridays just for deep work. And Yeah. And it started helping. Right. And it's something that we brought to constructor. Um, So from like a very sort of tactical level, right, like it might seem micro, but blocking off that heads down deep work time 
gets people a chance to just go, okay, yeah, I can get my work done. You know, like I yeah. scheduled an extra time for myself today to work on two things that I literally cannot be distracted on. And you need support around you to feel okay doing that. Um, you know, or during that time, if things are done, you know, or you have meetings, like take your meeting on a walk, get away from your computer, you know, um, start setting those boundaries for yourself where you can use the time wisely. We're adults, you know, learn to trust each other, but sometimes you actually do have to put things in place to just say, you know, no more or not at this time and leadership teaching folks that they can do that sort of trickles down the waterfall, which is, yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. You know, Rob G was on this show too. Shout out to Rob. Yeah. He's the man. He's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right on. We talked about content and like basically to make it really, really good, like content that like you would pay for and publish that type of content regularly. Yeah. Yeah. He is. (laughs) He's got a lot to say. (laughs) Yeah. He's cool. I would love to see Rob on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, that thing was, that was like pretty cool. And then I would say the other element that's really important, right, is around communication. Um, it's not just like blocking off calendars. It's like literally creating a vi- like a safe environment, right? So um, I held a session upon the request of folks, right? This isn't like something I thought of on my own. And it was just about like personal experiences in the workplace. And I shared stories around um, like verbal, I guess I'll call it like verbal battery. I don't know. And like in the workplace, right, of managers that I've had before that have been very tough mm-hmm. and how I dealt with that and how I coped with it and what it taught me and when to recognize like when conversations are okay or not okay, or when you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, how do you handle that? How do you talk to a peer? How do you talk to a manager? How do you talk to HR? And what I noticed after this like all day session, right, that was around not just like product and sort of the first half of the year, but around boundary setting and personal experience and recognizing sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly right of work communication and um, and and those boundaries. I was approached quite a bit after the session, the days following, um, about certain situations, right, that I didn't really know about. Um, and this was both personal and professional. It was like really interesting to see people sort of connect the dots between um, communication and boundaries in both the workplace and their personal lives and like how it can actually be applicable to both, right? From what we were talking about earlier. And yeah. so I brought a very similar fashion to Constructor. And what's been really interesting is, again, we're sort of in that like hyper growth mode that I was in when I started at Constructor, or sorry, when I, when I was at Salsify. And so you automatically know it's going to hit the fan. People are going to be stressed out. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're in hyper growth. This is like what we signed up for. And so having that experience at Salsify, I think it was really helpful coming in here because I was able to implement things like faster. I was able to have these types of conversations earlier. And I got to tell you, my team is not shy to tell me to like back off, set a boundary, um, talk to me about being overwhelmed, right? Looking how to become more efficient as a team, like 
it is for the good part of regular conversations every single week. And every time somebody sets a boundary, I make an example of it in a good way. And I tell the entire department, this person gave this boundary and like, that is awesome. That's like what we want to see because we'll respect it. And it takes courage and bravery to get there. And then hopefully that person teaches another person down the line, right? And so you all start sort of learning as a community how to do things like that. Yeah. Um, And it just creates a safer environment. You know, sometimes we have CMOs and marketing leaders on the show who are kind of higher level. uh, and, And today's guest brings that higher level feel that comes with experience and leading large teams. But he also... Uh, it can get down and dirty, nitty gritty still, like with, you know, some hands-on demand gen and some tactical stuff, which is kind of where my background is. So I always love episodes where we get to um, talk about that. So today's guest, real badass, uh, SaaS and fintech growth marketing leader that's honed his, his skills over the years at startups as well as high growth public companies. Currently, he's heading up marketing at Heartland Payment Systems, which is a very large uh, and impressive company. And he is Chris Allen. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Got a couple of Chris's. Glad to be here, man. Chris and Chris. Yeah, that should be easy yeah. to remember. And uh, I know you're a podcast host as well. And I know that this yeah. was your week of podcasting. So this will be kind of interesting to... Uh, yeah, being on the flip side. Yeah, right. That should be yeah, fun. Yeah, super good. Well, let's dive right in, man. I, um, you know, we're all about our secrets here at Revenue Driven CMO. What do you consider to be one of your best kept secrets to success in marketing? Yeah, you know, um, when you're in startup land, you got to wear a lot of hats as a marketer, and so you, you know, being a ninja, right, is is required. Yeah. The higher up you, uh, like as the size of company, size of team increases, you got to have different secrets. Um, and so that, that's what I thought was really interesting to, to chat about because I'd say secret-wise, um, the thing that no one really taught me was how to inherit a team and uh, infuse sort of the cultural elements that you need to be able to grow, right? And yeah. really understand really quickly you know, where, uh, where people stand and how to move fast. Every CEO is like, hey, I'm going to bring in this hot shot. What's the fastest way you can deliver growth? Um, and th- that's the storyline you got to have is, okay, I, I can deliver growth uh, and I can be a performance-driven you know, head of marketing, but what am I working with? You know, and yeah. that's, that's the thing that I think has been uh, uh, the, uh, the biggest secret that really nobody talks about is how to inherit a team, figure out where they are, and get to growth fast. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of CMOs can can uh relate pretty much all of them and especially because many cmos like the tenure the average tenure is not all that long um so you've developed a framework basically like a science almost to come into a team to quickly assess like hey who are these players that i have what are their roles what are their you know their key skill sets how do you get the most out of them you know in the most kind of enjoyable way that that vibes with the culture um Tell us about that framework a little bit. Like what, like how does it work? Yeah. I, I like to say that um, CMO is the current marketing officer. Uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's the tenure is, is usually pretty short. Yeah. The ones that tend to stick around are the ones who can drive revenue. Um, and so there are really two techniques that, um, that I use. I, I call it a hiring and management framework. 
Um, but I'm going to talk about, I'd say, two, two parts. One is to assess what role an individual could play on a team. So you could understand leadership, but you could also understand uh, you know, the, the specific sort of contribution that they would make to a team. And then at the same time, on the other side, is how do you assess people's skills really quick and get them to talk about that? Yeah. To get them to say some of the language that you need to understand. So um, happy to just you know dive into both of those real quick if you want Please. me to. Please. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on the role side, whenever I'm managing a team, right? If I'm coming in as a CMO, I've got either VPs or I've got other leaders under me, other managers at a minimum. And so what I try to do is I kind of work through the organization. I come in and I will, I will do a listening tour uh, and meet pretty much everybody I can on the team. At Heartland, we've got about a 60-person team. Mm-hmm. And I had to had to do that work. So it's like a part of my 90-day plan is to come in and say, okay, let's get to forecasting really quick, but let's understand who we have. And so really the first two weeks is a listening tour and to really understand the people. And the basis for that is like, you know, you heard Peter Drucker, right? The uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And I take that pretty seriously. And so role-wise, I try to understand which one of four an individual might primarily play. Okay. So mm-hmm. what I what I say is, and I do this in interviews and when I'm when assessing a team. So the, the questions that I ask them like, hey, there's four different roles that anybody plays on the team. And as a leader, I need all four of those roles represented. And what I'm going to try and do is figure out if that individual, which seat they would sit on, which role they would play on the team. So you're either a producer, an entrepreneur, an integrator, or an administrator. Okay. And so I go through and I explain what, what, an, uh, what a producer is, what, what each of them are. And I say, which one do you most identify with and why? And so producer, this is somebody who's willing to color outside the lines to get work done. They are milestone-driven, achievement-driven. And it may not always be perfect, but it tends to get done. Okay, yeah. um, Entrepreneurs, these are ideas people. These are the people that are great to collaborate with, but they tend to not get work done. And that's why they need a producer and an entrepreneur, I mean, excuse me, an administrator next to them. Uh, to get work done and to keep it going. But they're the big ideas people. What's the next big thing? And so you need that entrepreneurial thought and that that role on the team. The next one, the integrator. These are the people that are great at connecting systems or they're great at connecting people. I typically recognize an integrator when they have been in a meeting and they're like, I, why is you know Sue not in here? She needs to be in here because she plays this role. And they recognize what's missing. Yeah, and that's why you need the integrator, and then the administrator. It's like I think of a rail system with a bo- with a, a tra- with a train. You got yeah. the rail system, you got all the box cars, you know, you've got the schedule, and you've got the checklist, and the administrator knows how to create all of those things, and to, and checking boxes along the way to to assure that work's done. But a lot of administrators, the work may or may not be done, but they have checked the box. So the quality yeah. of work isn't what I look for out of administrators. So I ask the, those people. Which role do you sort of most identify with and why? And I typically want to have my, a producer, an integrator, an administrator around me because I tend to play the role of an entrepreneur on the team. Yep. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise, for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting. I love that classification. Um, a couple questions come to mind, but I'm, I'm sure. curious. Like, So everybody on the team has to identify primarily with one of those things, right? Most people, when I ask that question, they say, I identify with all of them, but this one more. Yeah, right. But yeah. Um, And there's not necessarily any uh, correlation between those buckets and the positions that tend to exist, or is there? For instance, like, so like, could you have, like, you could have an SEO person, say, that does organic search. And they could be either an entrepreneur or an administrator in that role, or like, you You need a certain 
archetype in that role. You got it. I look at that, those roles as the substructure, you know, okay. um, that's what kind of sits that that's just, that's the people dynamic yeah. that, um, when you're building a team, cause the skills is the other side, which, which, which is what you're talking about. And that's a whole different set of questions. So like, let's take, let's just take a demand gen manager, a demand gen manager, for example, right? They're really the, I'd say the three things that, um, they need to know how to do is campaign design. Um, they need to know how to do copy that converts, and then they really need to do performance analytics. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to somebody that's either in that role or I'm listening for somebody who might be able to play that functional role, I say, okay, great. I'm going to put three buckets in front of you. I'm going to put a label on each of those buckets and you have 10 points. And so I'll say, okay, great. Uh, campaign design, copy that converts and uh, performance analytics. Where do you put your points? And I've given them a even number of points and an odd number of buckets. And what has to happen, the number one, they got to do head math on the fly, mm-hmm. which everybody sort of struggles with. Some of them, some people don't, but most people, when, most marketers when asked that question, are like, I was told there would be no math. Uh, but they, I asked them to do that and they put their points across those buckets. And it's like, okay, I'm a, a three, you know, um, a four and a three. And it's yeah. like, okay, great. Tell me why you're a four on this one. And when you get to break down, it really breaks up the conversation into a specific uh, contribution or a skill that you can learn more about really, really quickly. And yeah. if, you're, if you've got 10 demand gen managers, you're going to be able to see across those three buckets where you're strong and where you're weak. Yeah. And you know what I like about this framework is that there's not that many options. Like there's not 14 archetypes. There's four, Correct. right? There's yeah. not, there's not nine buckets and 50 chips. You know, there's, uh, there's yes. three buckets and 10 chips. Um, you got it. And you actually do the bucket thing. Like literally like come into my office. Here's buckets. Oh, well, I mean, I, they're figurative. Come on now. But it would be awesome. I, I, it would be great to have actual buckets in there for each role. But I mean, if you're interviewing 60 people, you got five different teams, right? And then there's all the other, other teams underneath. It's really hard to do that. So it's, it's just a, it's a part of the conversation. It's like, I try to get to know who they are first, understand what maybe their values are really quick, yeah. and then go into like role and skills. And it's, it's a way that's really helped me go through that listening tour and come out with something that's a relatively quantitative for things that are actually qualitative, right? And it, it really does help help me see the where teams actually sit in their competency and their ability to answer the question. And some people are super prepared and can answer those questions really fast. And the ones that, who've been able to do that are the ones that I typically can go, okay, I could put some weight on that person to kind of get started with the new playbook. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's let's bring this home then. So you've done your listening tour. You've met with each individual team member. You've classified, I don't know what you call those, whether like archetypes or personas, but you've classified yeah, sort just, of their zone of genius, call it. You got it. Um, and you've you've identified their their self-assessment across the top three skills required in that individual seat. So yeah. you've got this all laid out, you know, you've got it on a master spreadsheet. You've probably, you know, you're rearranging maybe some chess pieces in your head, but or I don't know what happens after that. Like once you have all those answers, then what? This we're totally in spreadsheet land. Yeah. What I what I'll do is put it in a spreadsheet, um, and then I'll do. I'll also part of the listening tour is from their manager or whatever. What work they have them doing, what current projects that they have, and what are the performance of them, 
and just do a red, yellow, green on, on that. So I get the self-assessment and then get the manager's assessment. And when you're inheriting a team, it's like, that's really all you have to go on. You know yeah. what I mean? You can look at analytics and say, hey, why are we so red here? What's going on? You know, our top of funnel is super weak. You know, and they'll have a reason as to why. But when you've done that bottoms up listening to her and heard the manager's assessment and the, the individual, you know, contributor's assessment, I have that in a spreadsheet and I just kind of score where we're weak. So I'll, I'll take the, the organization that I'm imagining that we need to be at and where we are. And I'm looking in the spreadsheet to say, hey, we are, I sort of heat map where we're going to need resources or where we're strong or where we're weak. Mm. And that's what I do to sort of build out the plan to say, okay, let's kick off with a project that gets us all working together. So we have an assessment, but let's start working together on something that's relatively new or something that, that everybody's familiar with mm. and see how we are working together. And once we do one of those, you really do in about six weeks, you can really understand, all right, our team is going to be really good here. And when you kind of are two months in, right, you need some results. So you're going to say to the CEO, say, hey, I just want to let you know, resource-wise, here's some moves that we're going to need to make. And when I go to the CEO and have my spreadsheet, right, of uh, it's a talent assessment, ultimately, tied to not only my 90-day plan, but also sort of like, here's, here's my forecast for the year based on what we have. Yeah. They're typically like, okay, you definitely have your shit together uh, and I'm willing to give you resources. And that, that's, that's when you show up as a performance-driven head of marketing. You're here to sign up for a number with sales and yeah. you know how to assess a team. And, and I would say that marketing is kind of like the, the white whale, if you will, for a lot of CEOs. They don't understand it. And it's hard to find you know, good, a, a great marketing team. And I have had really good success uh, with leaders and it's bought me quite a bit of credibility to come in and say, I'm not just in sort of performance by, you know, marketing and I'm going to plow my way through uh, and, and just bulldoze everybody and bring in all my own people. I'm using what you gave me yeah. and here's what I was able to, here's what I can do with it. Yeah. And like you go into that meeting, you look like a badass. You're like, look, totally. Mr. CEO, forget about this marketing fluff. I'm signing up yeah. for a number. I did a detailed assessment. Here's my spreadsheet. Here's yes. decisively and exactly the, the changes that need to be made. And maybe here's also some extra resources that I need. Let's, let's make it happen. Let's rock and roll. And, and just of course, give that CEO levers. Here, you can pull this lever with this resource and we can do X. You can pull this lever and we need these resources to do Y or we can kind of keep it the same and I can make what we're doing a little bit better. Yeah. And that kind of communication style, I think regardless of who your CEO is, whether they're more of a numbers person or like a big ideas person, like they're going to enjoy that presentation because it's got a little something for everybody. You, you bet. It, it, the level of comfort that you get fast. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, you know, you need that comfort level with your team. So number one, it's like, there's your boss, right? The CEO, and they made a bet on you to bring you in, but then you have your peers, right? You got product and you have sales. And when they're like, the marketing dude just walked in with a bottoms up forecast of what he thought or she thought that they could do for the rest of this year, this quarter, over the next two years. And there's actual numbers to prove it and an assessment of the team. It buys all kinds of credibility with your peers as well. And you need that because you really can only go at the speed of relationships and marketing people don't get a lot of runway 
to build relationships. That's why that tenure is so short. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this. I love the specificity of it and the structure behind it. And I think that a lot of CMOs and marketing leaders and even leaders from different disciplines that are listening to this, I think will definitely enjoy it and definitely take some value from it because it's just so clear and so structured and specific. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I hope so. It, it is hard watching, you know, some, you know, a lot of us have, you know, CMO friends, head of marketing friends and, and, uh, you know, they're like, well, I'm going to go in with brand, you know, that's what I'm going to go in with. And I'm like, go in with performance yeah. and then back into brand, you know, totally go totally. better for you. Yeah. I think for sure. Like CEOs very much. Well, some of them do get it. Some of them understand marketing and some of them understand it really well, but they still ultimately only care about the numbers. It's really hard to sell brand. I think for, for most, if not all CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, what a lot of brand marketers try to do is you can put a dollar in and get 10 out, Yeah, but I can't quite tell you how. Uh, and performance CMOs are going to say, um, you can put a dollar in and I can get you four out and can tell you exactly how. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your man, Chris Mechanic, here with a really, really interesting guest today that I'm excited to speak with. Um, and this is a guy who came up uh, in the mobile advertising space for the most part, had his own company, grew it um, to a nice run rate, sold it, and then um, to GameHouse, has been a mentor at Techstars for over 10 years, so he must have seen a lot, and then somehow uh, got into B2B. So now he's a B2B marketing leader uh, at Flex, where he's been for about eight years and just really kind of rapidly ascended um, it seems there at Flex to uh, basically the highest marketing position. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show uh, SVP of Marketing at Flex, Mr. Ryan Morell. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Great. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you, man. I'm really curious. What do you consider to be one of your best kept uh, secrets to marketing success? Yeah, yeah. Can, can I answer this with quotes? Sure. Sure. Okay. So I actually have two quotes. Um, the first, and this is sort of just a, a principle of mine uh, that I'll, I'll apply back to marketing in a second is, uh, and I don't remember who said these quotes for originally, so we'll start there. Like one is, uh, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you a fool than to open your mouth and prove them right. <laughs> right? So that's like <laughs> quote one. Uh, and, and the second is, uh, it's, I think it's widely misattributed to Mark Twain. Um, but it's some version of, so I apologize. I would have written you a shorter letter, but I ran out of time. Yeah. And I, the, the context is important here. So let me explain why I think these are the secret. Like one, it is all of our instinct, uh, as marketers, as leaders, as professionals. And this is, this is true, uh, as a result of years and years of conditioning, um, to do more, to say more, to talk as much as you can. Like that's what marketing people do. We have, we're excited about what we're marketing. We're excited about what our company does. And so we want to talk about it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that instinct is one that everybody needs to fight as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because what that results in is you one, having too much content, too much thinking, too many words, too creative, too clever. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because you yeah. haven't thought deeply about what you're actually trying to say, like on a consistent and ongoing basis. Yeah. So, you know, I would assume, you know, some people could hear that and sort of roll their eyes and be like, oh, okay, here's another guy talking about brevity. Like, yes, brevity is important. Um, but there's as much, can I swear? But okay. Sure. I'm assuming yeah. there's as much shitty brief content as there is shitty long content. And being short and brief doesn't make it good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like being super thoughtful with your language and the words you choose and being consistent with them over long periods of time, like that's where the magic is. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the important part. And you know, we spend at Flex an inordinate amount of time on on what we write how we say it how we write it how we how we then verbalize it um because we know when we can create brief yes but also impactful and clear messages yeah um in the voice of our customer like words they would probably use hopefully yeah um that drives meaningful results like i've, I've heard multiple stories from folks in the field who come back from a meeting and say, Connor, this giant customer who's got things coming at him from all over the place, literally regurgitated our messages to them. Like, oh, well, that's like, that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't get there by just throwing up on a page. Yeah. Uh, we got there by being super thoughtful and careful about what we were going to put out, what it included, what it said, and how we're going to be consistent about it. Yeah, and that was a question that I had for you because um, it can be difficult, I mean, very difficult to tell the extent to which your messages are resonating. So I was wondering, like, so say that, you know, you spend a lot of time really tightening up the copy, really, you know, thinking through the messaging and you deploy it very, very thoughtfully across your instances. Like, uh, how do you then, like, know if it's working or not? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's hard. There, yeah. and there's no silver bullet, right? So we do a number of things. One is um, we get feedback from the field, like, okay, what messages do land? What don't? Yeah. Uh, that's an easy one. And it's qualitative. Of course it is. Um, but that's our best for us. That's the best way for us to know if it's landing in the face of a customer. Yeah. Um, there's other things we do around just, you know, just like basic AB testing. <laughs> uh, our, our denominators are a little small, right? Like we don't sell to a ton of companies. We don't have millions of data points. We have thousands or hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Um, but we do use that channel. And then we do probably not as consistently as, as we'd like run a new studies or we'll go out to the market and ask about their attitude and awareness how they think about us. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we do voice of the customer programs to hear from them, how they position and perceive us. Yeah. Um, so we have a bunch of different inputs. There's no right answer. Yeah. Um, but we have found that the most valuable one is just feedback from the field, what our customers say to us. I'm super excited uh, for today's guest. They're an award-winning B2B SaaS marketing leader, uh, an advocate for diversity and inclusion, extremely passionate about pay equity in the intersection of ethics and technology, uh, and was recently appointed as chief marketing officer at HiBob, uh, which is a really fast-growing uh, HR software uh, 
company that's really taken the market by storm. So I'm super excited to jump in. So everyone, welcome to the show, Sarah Reynolds. Nice to have you, Sarah. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here. Super excited uh, to be talking with you. And I know that you're a badass marketer. And uh, so as we do every show, let's start off. If you could just tell the audience uh, one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Sure. So um, for for sort of an introduction to me, which will help explain my secret. Uh, my name yeah. is Sarah. My pronouns are they and them. And along with being a badass marketer, I am a uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging advocate. I identify as non-binary and trans. And so these topics are really important to me, not just personally and professionally. So I want to tell you my secret, which is maybe not so much a secret, um, but maybe something that we can all work on being better at. Uh, and that is that inclusive marketing is smart marketing and inclusive marketing widens your audience and it makes yeah. it so that your brand or your product appeals to more of the people who have the buying power to be able to make purchase decisions. Your yeah. audience is becoming more and more diverse than ever before. If you think about the number of generations in the workplace, you think about the types of people in the workplace, you think about all of the great work that many of us have been doing to make our workplaces more inclusive, uh, more safe for people of all different identities, backgrounds, lived experiences, professional experiences to come and be their authentic self at work. Um, I think you can probably imagine why it's important that your, uh, your marketing reaches the widest audience possible. And in fact, yeah. when I communicate with folks in the executive suite uh, or folks who don't maybe think about inclusive marketing or don't think about accessible marketing all day long the way that I do, I often frame it in those terms. I talk about it as audience widening tactics as opposed yeah. to just um, you know, inclusivity or accessibility concerns that we have about our marketing. Because I think that for folks who don't think about these topics all day, every day, they can really understand the, the benefit of something that widens their audience uh, or makes their product more appealing to more people uh, versus feeling a little bit, you know, maybe confused or not familiar with um, something like inclusive marketing or accessible marketing um, or the terms that we use to talk about, you know, the, the activities they're in. So I would say my secret is maybe you know, it's it's not just that inclusive marketing is smart marketing, but it's also in the way that you approach the topic with, you know, the folks outside of your uh, marketing organization that'll help you really sell that through and will help you, um, you know, make progress on your own marketing priorities uh, in a way that is really representing your company to the best of your ability. Yeah. I, and I think that that's brilliant. And I'm going to be honest, like, well, there's a spectrum of, uh, how people think about inclusivity in marketing. It goes from, you know, all in, understands the value, like naturally inclusive and diverse, uh, maybe because of principle, but also maybe because it works better by widening the audience. So like there's sure. that side of the camp. Then the other side of the camp is like, basically, I don't care, you know, what, what does it matter to me? Like, I just want my ads to work uh, type of thing. I was probably in the middle, like before meeting you, I was probably in the middle of that somewhere, maybe even veering toward the left um, and willing to, to be inclusive, but uh, doing it, you know, basically to be a good person, not necessarily to be, uh, to have better ads and better messages. 
but after speaking with you yesterday, I'm now way far over on this side. Like yes. I totally agree with that. Like just, <laughs> just the filter that you have on your zoom profile. Like when we shared on LinkedIn, we were talking about like, it's going to attract people to watch an episode of this podcast that would have probably not watched it before. Yeah, so, um, absolutely. That and I've- for me was powerful. Thank you. And and we're recording this um, for the audience uh, who's maybe watching it back later during Pride Month. So I have a, a rainbow filter on my Zoom. Uh, like many companies, uh, Zoom enables me to demonstrate my pride and uh, my pride in being my authentic self uh, on this call and in the way that I um, sort of publicly uh, show my face to the world, which I'm super, super grateful for. Uh, pride, of course, is not just about one month of the year, but about you know, all 365 days of the year. And what I would say, Chris, is, um, you know, when you think about sort of where do marketers fall in, you know, topics surrounding inclusivity and accessibility, I think it's interesting when you start talking to especially digital marketing practitioners about these topics, because um, sometimes, again, it's about the language that you use. So to go back to the previous point that um, sometimes audience widening is an easier way of talking about these topics, um, many of the topics, especially around accessibility on the web, um, your uh, SEO experts in-house or in the agencies that you work with will be very familiar with these topics not because they're necessarily looking at them from an accessibility perspective, but because they're looking at them from an SEO perspective. So if you want your content to rank, you need things like um, alt text on images. You need things like your um, heading tags, your H1, your H2, your H3 to be tagged correctly so that the search engine can crawl your website and it can ultimately understand the content that you're presenting back to it. And it can ultimately make a decision about how well that content ranks for any particular keyword. What's really interesting is that people who consume web content through screen readers or through other um, assistive devices, they actually experience the content on your website more like similarly to that that search algorithm that is crawling your site to be able yeah. to tell Google how the content on your site is organized. So actually, many of the things that we do all day, every day, and we think about all day, every day as SEO best practices on our site are also things that make our sites more accessible to people with um, visual or cognitive impairments that require them to use assistive devices. And I think that that's a beautiful thing because it's like the idea that you know uh, inclusive marketing also widens your audience. It's like it's two things that that naturally get paired together. It's two things that it's two benefits that you can get out of taking one action in marketing. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. 
literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.